What's Up With premiered a special edition episode of our podcast available exclusively on our YouTube channel where deaf students from Gallaudet University discuss their experiences with disasters in their home countries of Japan and Nigeria. Check out the episode today by visiting youtube.com slash WID underscore ORG. The following episode of What's Up With contains references to sexual abuse. and welcome or welcome back to What's Up With, the World Institute on Disability podcast where we discuss what's up in the disability community across the globe. If you're new here, I'm your host, Ashley Nkumsa, and on today's episode, I'm sharing my conversation with Nima Namadamu, a disability rights activist from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, whose work focuses on securing rights and resources for Congolese women with disabilities. She's the founder and executive director of Hero Women Rising, an organization that advocates for women in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Nima and I discuss her life as a woman living with polio in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and her advocacy work for disabled women's rights. Thank you so much, Nima, for joining me for today's episode of our podcast to discuss advocating for disabled women's rights. So can you please share with our audience a little bit more about your life growing up in the Eastern Congo and how being diagnosed with polio when you were, I believe, two years old, how did that affect your life? And how did that put you on the trajectory to advocate for women with disabilities? Okay, well, uh, you ask me the good question, how my life or how I continue, how I become advocacy for women with disabilities. First of all, I born as other kids, normal kids. I born in South Kivu province, in Mwenga territory, in Itombwe sector. Is there I born? And why Itombwe? Itombwe is natural forest. For now, yes. I born as other kids, and I grown up. When I have two years old, I get polio, and to get polio in the village when I grown up was really very beautiful. We have this forest, but where I lived was no no toilet, no road. I didn't have crutches. I didn't have a wheelchair. That is how I born and I grown up. In 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 New Jersey is no access at all for women with disability or for people with disability, for all. In boarding school, I was only children or student with disability. And it was a big school, prestigious school, really. And it was many stairs, many. I, I study one level, I sleep to another level, I go to eat another level, I go to play to another level. It was a big school, was left by colonizer, by Jum was for girls only. And I stayed there for six years. I get my diploma. And when I finished there, when I was still on the floor, and my uh, one guy who was blind man, he was talking on the radio. And when he went to, he was going to Kinshasa, my capital country, and they came to my school because I was remarkable. I was only one girl with a disability, whole school like a thousand kids. And that time, and he came to ask my headmaster, say, Nemash can come and to go to radio, national radio, 
to do or uh, talking about people with disability and all kinds of disability and how to, to cross the road, for example, blind, how to help them, how to let, because the kid with disability, they it's a shame for family. It's a really shame. It's how now, because I grown up when I born with full love of my mother, I didn't know. It's discrimination outside uh, uh, in the world for people with a disability. Because there was no access, no one who could ask access, no one. But also I was there, and now I'm beginning to go to, to radio, national radio, RTNC, in uh, South Kivu province, Bukavu. When I begin, it was in the 90s. And uh, I begin there working, talking, and to see many kids with a disability who when in home, they, they're hiding them. When you go visit a camp, say, oh, go in the room, they close you there. You can't talk with other people. And there, I finished university. When I finished university, I begin working, but no one who can give me really good job. And uh, during that time, I have uh, one friend who's from my village who become really big authority in um, South Kivu province, but he couldn't give me a job. And I say, what is the wrong? Why is this? And now we have a woman who is, was in Kinshasa who was looking for, uh, he met me some kind, he came to my school when I was at university doing conference. And uh, she saw me and now she asked that guy who was in the capital now, say, you have someone in your tribe who have education, who can really work with me? And the guy said, yes, we have a name. And say, oh, okay. And they send me ticket, invitation. I didn't write to look for a job. Because no one, if they saw me physically, they can't give me a job. I went there and I began working with her. And I work and I begin with, like, as a, uh, social uh, advice. And the social advice really, I move, I navigate the disability. I see women with disability. They live on the street. They live like miserable. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure for these women living at the intersection of both misogyny and ableism, only further marginalize them. And I'd love to hear more about your observations and experiences as a woman with a disability living in Kinshasa. When I finish the job, I do around because I was a social uh, uh, advisor to my minister. And now when I visit my friends, women with disability and people with disability, second day they come all to my office. But security, security cannot let them come to visit me. They stop them. They say, oh, they are stink, they are not clean. They can't go meet the big woman. Like me, the people, it was a shock to how it was like minister. I didn't resolve my job. It's like they give me gift. It's like I was not doing anything. It was like by compassion, compassion, she gives me the, the job. But I prove world I'm able. And people with a disability, they are able. 
And meantime, when I was working in the government, I worked in the government, I was a national me. I was advised for five, seven years maybe, I was working in Kinshasa. And I become, now when the minister said, I was every day meeting with people with disability. And when I get my salary, I pay almost all my salary for transport for my relative, my friend with disability. And the people ask me, why you are giving all your salary? You are not working for these people with disability. With this, no, please ignore them. I say I can't ignore myself. This is me. I know how hard it is, and Kinshasa transport is so hard. You fight to get transport in Kinshasa. When and now, uh, my minister saw that they changed me. I become technical advisor to minister. Now I begin, I begin going out only, doing like a partnership with other ministers, with countries, with other countries' relationship. My name is Reggie Johnson and I am the Senior Director and Head of Marketing for the World Institute on Disability, or WID. We are a very passionate, dedicated staff that advocates policies and develops programs and services that serve the needs of over 1 billion people with disabilities in the U.S. and around the globe. Now you're probably asking yourself, why should I give to WID? Well, I'd like to share with you three reasons why. First, we help organizations achieve greater access and accessibility of their products and services for people with disabilities. Because we believe that greater access and accessibility benefits everyone. Second, we provide trainings, tools, resources to help people with disabilities and their loved ones make the most informed decisions about their employment and long-term housing goals. And third, it's no longer if a disaster happens, but when is the next natural disaster going to occur? Whether it's a flood, tornado, earthquake, wildfire, or ice storm, we provide disaster preparedness and resilience trainings, and help accelerate assistance and resources to disability-led organizations in impacted areas, both during and after a disaster. Your financial support helps us continue to do this work. Please consider a financial contribution as your support would truly be appreciated. Now, I know around 2011, you began your work with World Pulse, which for those of our listeners who are unaware, it's an organization that globally advocates for women. Can you tell us more about, you know, the work that you started to do with them and how you specifically advocated for disabled women when you were working with World Pulse? The World of Pulse is an organization who amplify women's voice. Is there I write article, five articles. One was how people with disability they are missing in the world and especially in the Congo. And when I write those uh, article, they, in the world of Porto, they choose three women around the world. And they choose me from Africa, another woman from India, another one from uh, Syria. And now we came here in America. When we came, we did America tour in 2012. After that, when the women, I was on a meeting, different meeting with women, and the women asked me, Nema, where is your vision? I say, I wanted to have our own center. 
in Bukavu because when I was there, I do I was renting a cyber cafe and I help women to have um, uh, like uh, email, uh, Facebook account, tweet, in, uh, Skype, and everything on media center technology. And that was the beginning of my, my job, is how I found Mama Shuja, Hero Women Rising. I love that you were able to help these women to establish a platform for them to share their stories on social media, especially in this current digital age of social media that we're living in. Disabled people have really been able to build coalitions and mobilize for disability inclusion largely, you know, thanks to social media and, of course, in-person mobilization. But a lot of it has started on conversations that take place on social media. So I also mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on our podcast that there are so many disabled content creators that are reclaiming the narrative. We recently published a blog post of so many disabled uh, content creators and influencers who are really reclaiming the narrative and telling their own stories. So I want to commend you for giving them mediums to have their voices be heard. And I know that your organization also joined forces with the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network to address the pervasive problem of industrial deforestation and illegal logging in the Congo. Can you explain the interconnectedness between climate justice and disability justice? How are those two concepts connected? Oh my goodness, that is a very good question. That concept, they are very connected. Climate change, for example, when you have a natural calamity, for example, when it's the full ocean or other kind happening. People with disability in my country, they don't have a way to go. They can't run away. For example, in the DRC, when we have a war, other people run away. But women with disability, they are raped double. With people who was living with them, when they won't, they run away. Other people, rebel who come to take that place, they rape them again. And no one who can say that. And also about climate change. We are affected because we are on the front line. Is why I'm fighting with that. I'm one of the people in DRC because I live in the forest. And that when we live in the forest about climate change, we do, we do what? Let me tell you. When people go to look wood for cooking, we don't, we, or charcoal, People with a disability, they can't move it to go do the stuff. And we, have, we don't have electricity for cooking. We don't have a gas. We don't have air condition. We are on the front line. Other people without a disability suffering, but people with a disability, they suffer double. And it's why we don't have war, running water. And it's people abusing our source because we was building near our source the small house they can build for you. But no, no one now who go to take jerk and bring water for you. No one. But when we talk about these issues, no one who help us because no one who knows. Whole world is missing that that. Uh, subject you can be here in america people with a disability if they don't have access 
you can't have a peace. But people here in America, it's like heaven. Everyone, you have elevator, you have access people in a bus. Because, but in Africa, is nowhere, not nothing. But this is really is so far away to get these things to get human being. If if we they can get people with disability have, for example, we have big alternatives to change this world. We have a solution, mm -hmm. but people, I don't know where, why they wanting to put only money on the bank, those paper, that they, they don't have a value as human beings have a value. Absolutely. And when these disasters and climate events occur, people with disabilities are far too often not accounted for either before, during, or after a disaster. And ultimately, they end up losing their lives because of that. And last year, we held a series of events with Gallaudet University where we had deaf people in particular from, you know, places across the globe, countries across the globe. And they are sharing their experiences about how information about disasters is never communicated in sign language and so on and so forth. And just the overall neglect that they experience. And why do you think that it's so important that climate justice activists and disability justice activists across the globe have cross-movement solidarity to mobilize together. They're supposed to come together because amplify the voice. When a person is talking in one corner and another one in another corner, that is no one who can hear us. But if we put together, if we talk together, we amplify voice, will be somebody will listen. That is where we can get solution. Yep, there's there's definitely strength in our solidarity and much too often we see our social justice movements as being separate. But if we dive deeper and we really don't really need to dive that deep, but if we at first glance, they may seem separate. But if we dive deeper, we realize that there's so much overlap and intersectionality in, for example, climate justice and racial justice and gender equity and disability justice and so on and so forth. So when we mobilize together, that's exactly how we can begin to create change. And I came across a really profound quote from you where you said that you don't believe that making an impact is measured solely by amassing followers, but whether or not you are an inspiring leader. How can people with disabilities, especially those who are multiply marginalized, how can they lead the way in social justice? Oh, how do you think they can do that? That is a very good question. Through education. You can tell someone who doesn't know speaking different language, who doesn't have education to control his own body, he will, he will do kind of running like for office no through education and don't feel shame those kids with disability close in the rooms not go out no let them go to school that is my job every day fighting for let kids with disability go to school get education yeah yeah education is so important which is why I believe the access barriers that you experienced when you were in school and many other people with disabilities are continuing to experience, they really need to be eliminated. And I think there are not only these, you know, physical access barriers once you are actually in a school environment, but there's also wealth disparities that don't even allow 
people with disabilities to even have the opportunity to receive a formal education. So there's definitely a lot of work to be done to kind of level that playing field and allow people with disabilities to have equal access to education, especially those who are multiply marginalized. How do you think that women and girls with disabilities can achieve liberation from gender-based violence and ableism and discrimination? How can they fight against the discrimination that they experience as women and girls? If they have some people working with them, giving them opportunity to have access to give the voice. If you couldn't invite me to speak with you, I could, you couldn't hear my voice. Why is access so important? Why is accessibility something that African governments and really globally, why is that something that needs to be prioritized, do you think, by the governments in Africa and all, across the globe? Why is accessibility something that we need to prioritize? That is really what I can say is no access, no peace, and no justice. How you can do that? If you don't have access, it's no justice is and no peace. We need that things to go together. And when you make things accessible, everybody else benefits. You mentioned earlier elevators. That's a perfect example of something we have here in the United States that and not only people with disabilities take elevators, people who are not disabled benefit as well. So accessibility is everything. It really means everything. So yeah. Like you said, no access, no peace. I, I love that. that no is very access, and no peace, and no, and no access, and no justice. Mm -hmm. Yes. Be our ambassador, be our voice, because we are voiceless. What, what projects and initiatives is your organization, Hero Woman Rising? What are you currently working on that people can find out about and check out? Oh, I'm working with girls, especially I make parts. Because the girls in, in the village, they live without, when I back there for, after 25 years, I back on Itongwe Forest, I see no change. I see really no change for girls. They're still abusing, sexual abusing, harassment, all those kind. And that I say, why no change? And women told me, Neymar, you know, because, uh, we we don't when the girls kids begin school primary school they begin all like 50 50 percent together but when they finish primary school to go to secondary school when they get periods they begin mm -hmm. every month seven days absent at school because they don't have pad because it's not because they are poor but no those uh because we don't have a road no that pad you use only one day you put uh way may so no at all that grows and now they can't do like grandma was doing that was a big deal for me and i was shocked and they say this is problem i say yes because i work with technology i take advantage of that technology I went there, I found one organization called Days for Girls. And that we send girls at, uh, at uh, studying those in Uganda and the back, we already distribute 11,000 and uh, something more to girls, different schools, to women, when they go to maternity, have, have uh, 
have the babies, they don't have an alternative. That is one project. The second project, they are planting trees. Because ooh, we ooh. see, yes, women with disability and other people with disability, they can't go so far, travel so far, looking wood for cooking, looking for charcoal, for example. But we are planting trees. Everyone can have maybe 100 trees around his village or in this house, and he can get easily because you can't cook. You can't have the light is the light you have the fire night that is uh is uh how we are doing that project planting the trees and the third one we are doing education like we already built the school after building school we have the girls and now because we keep that program we're making kit we call keep girls on a school days for girls uh, uh project in our program we call keep girls on a school that is what we are doing. And that mm. is really kind of uh, busy, making me busy, making my colleague busy, every day busy, is that we are doing, my dear. That is important work. That's great work. And I'm so glad that you're working on those three things from making sure women and girls have access to pads and other sanitary, you know, uh, products to helping them to be stewards of the environment. And of course, providing them with access to education. You're doing some really important and much needed work in the Congo. So I'm just super happy to have been able to have this conversation with you and you truly are amazing and you're doing such great work within the disability community. So thank you once again. This was a conversation that was so very much needed and it was a wonderful conversation. And I really appreciate it to be able to learn from you and grow with you and think with you. So thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you again to Nima for chatting with me about the discrimination that disabled women and girls in the Congo face, as well as her experiences and how we can all collectively work to eradicate ableism. You can find transcripts and American Sign Language interpretations of this episode, as well as all of our past episodes at www.wid.org slash what's dash up dash WID. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to help us to create even more great content, you can send us a donation over at WID d.org slash donate. Thank you again for tuning in and I will chat with you all next time.